Chapter 24 of Zafloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Zafloya by Charlotte Dacre. Chapter 24. A short time only had elapsed since the dreadful catastrophe of the poor Signora, during which Victoria had continued, though with pining reluctance, the use of the slow poison, the more Zafloya having peremptorily refused to administer as yet the final dose when, frantic with protracted hope and increasing passion, she sought again the dark abettor of her crimes. It was on an evening, when no appointment existed between them, at an hour too much earlier than she had yet been accustomed to seek the more, but the demons of evil raged with such fury in her bosom that every consideration was lost in their overpowering influence. The wretched Berenza still lived an obstacle to her wishes, and death, death alone, could satisfy her thirsting soul." She bent her steps towards the thickest of the forest, where the gloomy cypress, tall pine, and lofty poplar mingled in solemn umbrage. Beyond, steep rocks, seeming piled on one another, inaccessible mountains, with here and there a blasted oak upon its summit, resembling, rather, from the distant point at which it was beheld, a stunted shrub, huge precipices down, which the torrent dashed, and foaming in the viewless abyss with mighty rage, filled the most distant parts of the surrounding solitude with a mysterious murmuring, produced by the multiplied reverberations of sound. Victoria stopped for a moment and gazed around. The wild gloom seemed to suit the dark and ferocious passions of her soul. She gave way to the chain of thought that came pressing on her mind. Her heart was anarchy and lust of crime, and she regretted that she had suffered till now the existence of aught between her and her desired happiness. By the dagger's aid, thought she, I could have accomplished all ere now. I despise, yes, despise my folly in having deliberated so long, and the contemptible fears that have restrained my hand. Thus buoying herself up to frenzy, she admitted no reflection of danger that was attendant on the open commission of crime. Her reason was blinded by the blandishments of guilt, and the despotic sway of evil that triumphed in her heart. Oh, Zafloya, Zafloya, she exclaimed, with wild impatience. Why art thou not here? Thou, perhaps, and thou alone, couldst soothe the burning madness of my brain. As she concluded these words, she struck her forehead violently with her hand, and threw herself with her face upon the earth. Of a sudden the sweetest sound stole upon her ear. They were like the tremulous vibration of a double-toned flute, sounding, as it were, from a distance. Its lovely melody by turns softened and agitated her. It seemed not the solemn notes of the organ from the neighboring convent. No, it was unlike mortal harmony. Besides, the convent was on the other side of the castle, situated halfway down a mighty rock, and she had wandered too far to catch the smallest note of its deep-sounding music, even had the wind set towards the castle. Still the soft tones continued, and kept her on the rack between pain and pleasure, at one moment it brought before her view the idolized form of Enriquez, in all the grace of his youthful beauty, disposing her to love, and the most impetuous passion. The next, its melancholy cadence suggested to her sickening soul that him so frantically adored might never be hers, and that the barriers existing between them could never be overcome. If the turbulent emotions of her mind abated, they gave place to others no less dangerous. Still she listened with resistless attention, at length a slight pause occurred. "'Sweet aerial sound,' she cried, "'yet painful are the impressions I received from you. 
distracting rather than soothing my troubled soul. Sooner, yes, sooner would I hear the footstep of Zafloya, or his sweet voice, sweeter than all this music. His voice, then, and not his step, most beautiful signora, said a voice which rivaled indeed the sweetness of the music, and Victoria beheld at her side the stately moor. Astonishing being, she exclaimed, I heard you not indeed. Whence came you? I am here, Victoria. Will not that suffice? How knew you that I desired your presence? By sympathy, lovely Victoria, your very thoughts have power to attract me. Such as you have just indulged would bring me to you from the further extremity of this terrestrial globe. Explain, Zafloya. They are bold and spirited. They convince me that you partake of myself and that you are worthy of my present devotion. I am satisfied in this conviction. But how have you the power of divining my thoughts? Sofloya smiled and regarded her with a piercing eye. I can read them now, beautiful Victoria. That high-flushed cheek, that wandering eye, are evidence that cannot be mistaken. Victoria sighed deeply, and concurring in the justice of the observation, inquired no further. The wily moor had turned, her attention from his mysterious insinuations to her own conscious feelings. These alone regained full possession of her, and everything else appeared trivial in her view. O oh, Zafloya, she exclaimed, truly dost thou divine, my soul is indeed disturbed, and unless thou wilt assist me, I am lost. Despair not, said the moor, casting himself beside her, as her figure, half risen from the earth, was supported by her elbow, and her head reclined upon her hand. Despair not, he repeated, and unrepulsed took the hand which hung down. Say but how Zafloya can serve his lovely mistress, and let him prove to her his zeal. Ah, thou knowest, thou knowest, Zafloya, she cried impatiently, when looking upon the serious yet expressive countenance of the moor, she more calmly proceeded. I have hitherto, Zafloya, yielded to thy counsel. I may say to thy will, for thou wouldst not grant me that which ere now would have set me free. Berenza still lives, still intervenes between me and happiness. Well thou knowest the feverish suspense which I endure. My blood bubbles in my heated veins, and I feel within me as if the powers of life were withering, scorched and dried up by the raging tires of my long-protracted love. O oh, kind and pitying moor, I ask thee, yes, I ask thee for that, which by ending at once the existence of him whose emaciated semblance of what he once was, reproaches, while it mocks my hopes, shall free him from the lingering torments he endures, and give new life to me. She paused, and looking on the moor, beheld his eyes sparkling with such a scintillating brilliancy, as it were, that she was compelled to withdraw her gaze, though impatiently she awaited his reply. Victoria, he said at length, in dulcet accents, while the wild emotions of Victoria's bosom began already to subside. I would not have thee think that in the waywardness of an unkind spirit I refuse thee thy wish. Be assured thy present safety, and the ultimate attainment of thy hopes alone actuated me. When we essayed the poison on the ancient relative of the orphan Lilla, which speedily extinguished within her the feeble flame of life, I ask thee, would it have been expedient, according to thy ill-judged desire, to have administered on the following day a similar draft to the Conte? What terrible and dangerous surmises would instantly have been excited, marring thereby and putting perhaps an eternal period to all thy hopes? It was necessary that a short time at least should elapse. Meanwhile, we have not lost any, for not a day hath since passed that has not brought him nearer to his grave. Because he still breathes, and faintly lives, 
thou believest that his breath and life are not nearly exhausted. It is not so, however, and the slightest impellent will tumble him headlong into the arms of death. Had we not first essayed the efficacy of the poison upon the old signora, but unadvisedly had administered it to him, he would have languished for a time, and his situation would have awakened suspicion. Now will I be sworn that success, immediate success, shall attend our attempt, and that Berenza shall die without power to express a word. Depend on me then, lovely Victoria. Place implicit confidence in Zafloya. Ah, if you are indeed anxious to serve me, Zafloya, cried Victoria, with a smile that evidenced the joy imparted by the last words of the moor. Why did you not seek me at once and put the speediest possible end to my protracted misery? I did not seek you because it increases my triumph and my pleasure that you should will me into your presence. With joy do I promote your wishes, but with redoubled joy when you yourself invite me. Besides, added he, I am almost convinced that it would be as well even yet to delay for a time. Oh, talk not to me so, interrupted Victoria. Wherefore, wherefore delay? The better to evade suspicion, rejoined the moor. Oh, you are bent upon destroying me, Zafloya, when perceiving a gathering frown upon the countenance of the moor, she hastily added, Oh, frown not so terribly, Zafloya, but assist me at once, thereby laying claim to my eternal gratitude, and enhancing the benefit you confer. It shall be so, then, replied the moor, with a beautiful but peculiar smile. I will yield to your desire, assist you in your attempt, and shield you from all immediate consequences, this night removes from your view one become so obnoxious to it. This night, saidst thou, Zafloya? cried Victoria, in an exulting voice. This very night, returned the moor, within this hour you shall see your desire fulfilled, and I will preserve you from every danger and suspicion. Oh, moor, I thank thee, exclaimed Victoria, seizing in her joy his hand and pressing it to her bosom. The moor turned upon her his resplendent eyes. Is not that heart mine, Victoria? said he in an impressive voice. It is indeed gratefully bound to you, Zafloya, she answered, looking upon him with a disconcerted air. I say it is mine, Victoria, returned he. But, he added smilingly, fear not, for I am not jealous of your passion for another. Victoria felt surprise. She lifted her eyes to the countenance of the moor, but they fell beneath his fiery glances. She would have spoken. She knew not what conflicting emotions chained her tongue. She desired to reprove his boldness, but needing his assistance she dared not. She beheld herself in his power, and in the abjectness of her guilt she trembled. Zafloya smiled. His hand had remained on her bosom. Its hard pressure seemed heavy on her heart. He now withdrew it, and her confused senses began to rally. She felt released as from a grasp of iron. Again she ventured to turn her eyes towards him. His features had resumed their usual expression, animated but serene, resembling the returning brilliant calmness of a summer sky that had looked lurid with the threatened storm. In an instant his ambiguous words vanished from the mind of Victoria, or ceased to make impression. Aught was pardonable in the resistless Zafloya, and she faintly smiled. Victoria, he observed, it is yet light. The evening is mild and beautiful. The breeze from the mountains bears temptation on its wings. It promises delight to those in health and reanimation to the feeble. Berenza will, I think, be induced to venture forth. Leave this spot, therefore. Walk towards the castle, and you may encounter him. If you do, you will see me likewise. Should Berenza be sick, let your eyes seek me. When mine meet yours, put forth your hand, and receive whatever I shall offer you. 
Give it to Berenza, and the result will be manifested. Farewell. So saying, in a moment he turned and walked rapidly away. Soon Victoria beheld him no more. His movement had been so precipitate, so sudden, that scarcely could she believe she had but just beheld him. With slow and lingering steps, she prepared, however, to depart. The words of the moor still sounded in her ears, but their import was not clear to her. His mysterious department occupied her thoughts, and though in his presence hope and pleasant feelings diffused themselves through her bosom, no sooner was he vanished than, for the temporary calm she had experienced, accumulated horrors distracted her. The wildest frenzy of passion, the most ungovernable hate, and thirst even for the blood of all who might oppose her. In a mind of such gloomy anarchy was she now traversing the forest, her pace quick and irregular. Already had she entered the path leading to the castle when a faint and hollow voice uttered her name. Raising her eyes, she started on beholding before her the heart-touching semblance of what he once had been. The dying but unconscious Berenza supported between Lilla and Enriquez, his faded form was before her indeed, but she beheld him not, for her guilty eyes were directed instantly towards his blooming brother, whose sparkling eye and health animated form presented to be sure a striking contrast to the feeble being beside him. Sunk was the once brilliant eye, and robbed of its red-rose tint, the pallid cheek of Berenza. Despoiled of their healthful firmness, his emaciated nerveless limbs, his once expanded chest expanded now no longer, but contracted and oppressed by a difficulty of respiration. His elevated figure, his step bold and erect, now changed and depressed by the hard hand of long protracted suffering. The wretched Berenza retained about him no traces of what he once had been, save in the sweet suavity of his unaltered manners, save in the never-dying grace that, even in a state so pitiable, accompanied his every movement. The philosophic dignity of his soul, his native strength of mind, forsook him not, but taught him, as through life it had done, to rise superior to his bodily ills, ills which even yet he vainly flattered himself were not irremediable. In the delusive fondness of Victoria's eyes he still read hope. From her well-feigned solicitude he derived consolation, and felt as though while beloved and attended by her, death could not reach him. Her love, her tenderness, seemed to him a protecting shield, through which its arrows could not pierce. Each pulsation of that faintly throbbing heart beats still with unvarying love for her, and as he beheld her approaching, he disengaged his arm from Enriquez, and hastening towards her, even at the peril of sinking, he leaned his trembling hand upon her shoulder for support, and in an undervoice he cried, The hope of meeting thee, my love, hath enabled me to proceed thus far. I now feel nearly overcome. Lead me where for a moment I may rest myself. Canst thou walk a few paces further? inquired Victoria, leading him onwards to the very spot where the unfortunate Signora had yielded up her life. They were then at no great distance from it, and Berenza, unable to reply, motioned that he might be supported thither. Enriquez and Lilla joined to assist him. In a few minutes he gained the shady recess, and reposed himself upon that seat that had already been so fatal to another. Passing then his arm around Victoria, he leaned his head upon her bosom. "'You are much fatigued, my love,' she observed, in an anxious voice, as she sat beside him. "'Yes, my Victoria, and I would I were at the castle, for I faint with thirst.' "'What wouldst thou, Berenza? I will hasten for it,' said Victoria. "'Drink, drink, no matter what,' answered the miserable Berenza. 
something to revive my sinking soul. Oh, my brother, cried Enriquez, you drink more than is prudent, and wine but increases the fever which consumes you. What, Enriquez, hastily and somewhat reproachfully cried the agitated Berenza, rendered irrigable by long suffering. I named not wine, but if I had, wouldst thou deprive me of every consolation, refuse me every desire? Never before had the hapless Berenza expressed himself thus to a brother whom he tenderly loved. No sooner, therefore, did he observe that the feelings of Enriquez were wounded, than stretching forth his hand, while a tear trembled in his eye, he said, Forgive me, brother, forgive me. You do not feel as I do, nor would I have you. Without wine I am a wretch, for while it quenches the intolerable thirst which seems to parch my vitals, it warms and invigorates my debilitated frame. It gives new life to my sinking spirits, and renovates, when they begin to fail, my hopes of recovery. Here, overcome by weakness, he could only wave his hand, which motioned Henriquez comprehending, and vexed to have uttered aught that could be in the smallest degree thwart his unfortunate brother, cried, Fly, my Lilla, to the castle, and bring our brother some wine. He may need my assistance here, therefore I will remain. The beauteous Lilla bounded away to execute her mission. Lorenzo recovered a little, but his heart beat quick, though feebly, and his frame trembled with an increase of debility. Lilla presently returned. I met the Moors of Floya, she cried as she approached, and he hastens now towards us with wine. I told him an overflowing goblet for you, my lord, she said with a sweet smile, addressing Berenza. Did you, my little lover, said Berenza, faintly smiling, in return for her innocent attention. Meantime, with quick step, Zafloya drew near. At sight of him, violent emotion seized the breast of Victoria. Now his last words began to be explained, and she wondered in silence. He approached and presented to the Conte the goblet of wine which he carried. "'Give it to me, my Victoria,' cried Berenza. "'From thy hand would I receive it.' And with difficulty he raised his beating head from her bosom. Victoria stretched forth her hand for the wine. Her eyes met those of Zafloya. They were pregnant with terrible intelligence, for they spoke that death was in the goblet which she received from his hand. With all her unshrinking hardihood in deeds of horror, the strange, the dreadful expression of Zafloya's countenance shook her inmost soul. Nerving her hand, however, she took, with assumed steadiness, the fatal glass, and presented it to the anxious Berenza. He raised it, fixing his hollow eyes upon her countenance, and then, looking up to heaven as if to call down blessings on her head, he raised it to his lips and hastily drank its contents, even to the dregs. Scarce had he done so, ere with convulsive motion, his hand was pressed upon his heart, that heart seized with an acute and sudden pang, yet he uttered not a word, for while the fires of Etna consumed his vitals, respiration was nearly arrested, and he gasped his lips, and cheeks became deadly pale, his eyes closed, his hands fell nerveless beside him, and, bereft of sense, he sunk back. Who more collected than the dark Zafloya? He loosed the vest of the Conte, he rubbed his hands and his temples, and while horror assailed Enriquez, and even the guilty Victoria felt a selfish terror at the sudden accomplishment of her own wishes, he calmly, though with seeming sorrow, expressed his idea that the Conte had fainted through excessive weakness, and would probably recover if conveyed into the castle, where proper remedies could be administered. To this remark, Enriquez, though almost insensible from alarm, sadly assented. The Moor, then raising in his brawny arms, him whom he well knew would never more revive, hastened with him into the house. The lifeless Berenza, 
being laid upon a couch, a favorite servant of the Contes, by name Antonio, proposed instantly to go in search of a certain monk belonging to the neighboring convent, who was reported to be highly skilled in physic and the disorders of the human frame. Enriquez, catching at the idea, hastily dispatched him, with every promise of reward if he used expedition, and meantime, approaching his brother, assisted Victoria and her wily coadjutor in their pretended endeavors to restore him. That every effort was vain is scarcely necessary to be said, yet great was the trepidation of Victoria, lest the reputed skill of the monk, if it failed in counteracting the deadly ejects of the poison, should at least reveal to him that poison had been resorted to. This idea threw her into a state of terror, that not all her dependence on Zafloya, nor even the offended glances of encouragement, which from time to time he eased on her, could subdue. After some time of excruciating anxiety passed by all, though from different motives, Antonio at length returned. He was accompanied by a monk indeed, but not by him who he sought, the reverend father being absent from the convent on visits of charity in a distant hamlet. The one now with him was offered as his substitute, and highly recommended by the superior as second at least to Father Anselmo in physical knowledge, and his equal in piety, charity, and goodwill towards men. The monk approached Berenza, and after looking at him a few moments, desired that his arm might be uncovered. Then, taking his lancet from his pocket, he made a small puncture in the vein. Victoria bent over him with well-feigned sorrow, while Enriquez held his motionless hand. Suddenly, though at the first puncture a single drop had refused to flow, the blood started forth and flew into the face of Victoria. Terror and surprise nearly overpowered the conscience-stricken wife. The avenging blood of Berenza had fixed upon his murderer and hung its flaming evidence upon her cheek. She dared not lift her eyes, lest those of the others should read in them the self-written characters of guilt. But with trembling hand, raising a handkerchief to her face, wiped away the crimson stains, and then again ventured to bend over his lifeless form, still in terrible expectation of some further fearful event. All was over, however, the blood had just started and instantly ceased. Animation was not suspended merely, it was forever fled. No one suspecting her guilt, her agitation was attributed only to the acutely painful feelings natural to be excited by the occurrence so affecting. While the thoughts and observation of all were still engaged upon Berenza, she ventured to raise her eyes. The terrible eyes of Zafloya alone encountered hers. In them she read the desperate and gloomy fierceness of determined crime. She could not gaze upon them, but hastily looked away. Though despairing of the smallest success, the monk had opened a vein in the other arm of Berenza. The terrors of Victoria were renewed, but groundlessly. No life-warm current followed the lancet's point. The heart was forever motionless, and the bosom in which once it had beat high and healthful pride, inanimate and cold. Hope could no more be indulged, for no swoon but the eternal sleep of death was discovered to have seized Berenza. Such a fate, so sudden, so terrible for the best of human beings, excited bitter grief in the minds of all but Victoria. Yet even those who lamented him most felt no surprise, for though immediate death had not been foreseen, no one had ventured to hope that it was far distant. He had not expired in the plenitude of vigorous health. His decay, on the contrary, had been progressive, though rapid, and his dissolution hastened, as Enriquez believed, by the unhappy determination of his beloved brother to refuse all medical advice, in the strange, delusive persuasion of his ever-reasoning mind, that nature must be all-sufficient to triumph in time over her own complaints. 
Never, in despite of representations most delicately urged, would Berenza give ear to any suggestions of actual danger. And for this pertinacity, Enriquez, too justly in his mind arraigned Victoria, so tenderly beloved by the Conte, and often had felt surprise and indignation that she never joined with others in entreating him to alter his fallacious system, when she well knew that her word, or slightest persuasion, would have changed instantly his most obstinate resolve. On the contrary, she would often argue with him that physicians were ignorant, dangerous experimentalists, and pretend to be herself a convert to the hazardous plan of trusting all to the operations of nature. In consequence of these reflections, the heart of Enriquez involuntarily turned against the infamous wife. He had never viewed her with sentiments of regard, and she was now more than unpleasing in his sight. From an unaccountable combination of ideas, he connected her so intimately with the cause of Berenza's death, by having upheld him in his mistaken notions, that he shrunk almost instinctively from her, with a sentiment of horror. Unhappy brother, little didst thou surmise how well, how justly founded, were the feelings of thy breast, wherein nature so powerfully asserted herself. End of chapter 24